This sermon is brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. As you listen, we hope that you enjoy it and that it helps you in your walk. Please visit our website in the information below and drop us a message. We would love to hear from you. Every Christian will find themselves in a place at some point in their life where they feel like God is distant or they feel stressed out, burdened, overwhelmed. They feel just tore down, feel like they're in what's called the valley. A lot of times you feel like you're in the valley or peaks with God. Every Christian will find themselves in a valley. When I find myself in a valley, what I do is I try to go back to a time, try to remember a time in which Jesus Christ has done something for me. Which, if you're a Christian, I don't care what you think. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he has done something for you. He's done a lot for you. More than we can probably even fathom. And so I try to go back in my memory to a time in which I know for a fact, definitively, that Jesus Christ has done something for me. And typically, I try to go back to the, the biggest moment, the, the biggest time in which Jesus did something for me. And for me, that sends me all the way back to when Jesus Christ absolutely wrecked my life. I would have been the same age as the vast majority of you guys in here. I'd have been a junior in college or something like that, super junior. So I took a year off. I'll talk more about it. You'll understand why I was a super junior in a minute. But I go back to a time in which I was was in college. I was your guys' age. And uh, it's a time in my life which I know for a fact that I would be dead if it wasn't for what Jesus Christ did for me. I'm going to repeat that. The way I was living my life, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ coming into it and interceding, I would not be in front of you, let alone be alive. I just want you to think about that. And so I go back, and so uh, I've been kind of excited to share this this year, and the Holy Spirit finally prompted me to give my testimony. So we're going to lay a little bit of groundwork before we get started on that moment in time I go back to. So I was born in Alliance, Nebraska. I was raised in Alliance, um, graduated, eventually moved to Hemingford, graduated from Hemingford High School. Uh, grew up in Alliance. We went to the Lutheran church there. Um, my family went to church every single solitary Sunday. I mean, we were at church. If there was something going on at the church, we were there. My mom even taught Sunday school at our church. But for me, church was dry, didn't really impact me a whole lot. I mean, I knew we needed to go to church, and I knew, I knew who Jesus was. I memorized a lot of scripture at that point in my life, a lot of scripture at that point in my life. I even went through confirmation through the Lutheran church, which you have to memorize certain things and you have to do certain things, and it's almost kind of like a ritualistic passage into being able to take communion and stuff like that. I didn't really learn anything except for scripture. I memorized a lot of scripture. I want to stress that. I memorized a lot of scripture in the Lutheran church. My family moved to Hemingford out to a sheep and pig ranch, and uh, 
we changed churches in Hemingford because there wasn't a Lutheran church. We moved to the Methodist church. And I know doctrinally, the Methodist church and the Lutheran church are extremely different. I think my tablet just decided to turn off. Hang on. I know the Methodist church and the Lutheran church doctrinally are extremely different, but the church I was going to in Hemingford was the same old, same old. We went to church every single Sunday, but it was dry, and it was a, it was a dead religion to me, basically. I memorized a lot of scripture. I went to church every single Sunday. I went to youth group. Whatever was going on, I would go to, and I, I didn't really impact me at all whatsoever. How many of you guys know you can go to church a lot and still not be a Christian? That was me. I went to church every single Sunday. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't even close to being a Christian. In high school, I would have, I would decide, um, I would explain myself in high school as being popular, athletic, and I would follow that up with depressed. In a Hemingford, it's not a big town, it's a thriving metropolis of less than a thousand. If you were athletic, you were pretty much popular. And so I was with the popular crowd, I was athletic, and I was horribly, severely depressed, debilitating depression at times. And so I began finding little cures for my depression. Some of those cures were athletics, some of those cures were academics. And I began diving into my athletics and my academics so much because it helped me to put a little curb on my depression. It helped take the edge off of my depression. Usually when you explain to somebody that you're popular and athletic, you usually don't think the word depressed follows that. But that was me in high school. I mean, I was horribly depressed. And if any of you guys have ever suffered from depression, you know your depression well. And I knew that I needed to go to bed by 9 p.m., otherwise it would begin to affect me in the evenings. I knew I needed to wake up at 6 in the morning, otherwise I got too much sleep, and that led to even worse depression. And so I threw myself into athletics hard, and I would go to bed at 9 p.m. every single solitary night, all the way through high school. I worked my butt off, and I got myself to, to a point where I could pursue my dreams of playing football at the collegiate level, and I got a chance to go and play football at Colorado State. I did the work, I put in the time, I did the effort, I, I pushed myself as hard as I could because I thought if, if I could just do this one thing, my life would be okay, I'd be happy, I wouldn't be depressed anymore, I'd be, I'd be a football player at Colorado State, it was my dream to play there. I did what it took to be able to be on the team, and once you know, that didn't make everything in life perfect. Through a series of mistakes, I landed myself uh, kicked off the team and was forced to transfer back home. I took a year off of school, tried to figure out what I wanted to do for sure from there on because everything I knew was playing football at Colorado State. Now that was done, and I didn't know what to do with my life. And so I took a year off, decided I was going to come to Shadron. I was going to focus on my academics. I was going to get my grades up, and I was going to get a degree. Well, when I started school in Shadron, the grade part was, was working out. I was doing what it took to get my grades up, but now I didn't have football to curb the depression anymore. And so 
I began trying to find different ways to deal with my depression because I wasn't just okay with having uh, depression. And so I began dealing with my problems with alcohol. It started with social drinking because, you know, when you go out and you're socially drink, you know where everybody's at, you know where the party's at, it's always a good time. That's going to cure my depression, right? Having friends, hanging out all the time, hanging out three or four nights a week, that's going to cure my depression. And so I threw myself into social drinking. And eventually, I found myself doing this over and over again because the friends I had were doing the exact same thing. They were, they were socially drinking often. And I want to tell you something. Nobody becomes an addict overnight. You don't just wake up one day and decide, hey, I'm going uh, to be addicted to alcohol. Or, hey, I'm going to be addicted to porn. Or, I'm going to be addicted to whatever it is. Nobody just all of a sudden decides they're going to be addicted. It's a process. It takes time. Over the period of a couple years of, of socially drinking, I found myself a full-blown alcoholic. And in order to kind of give the idea of how much of an alcoholic I was, I'm going to explain it to you guys a little bit deeper. My alcoholism grew to the point where I would go home every, one, or every once in a while on the weekends and even when I would go home, I would stop at the liquor store before I went home, and I would buy liquor so that I could drink it after everybody went to bed because I didn't want to deal with my issues. Or, and at that point in time, like I said, I was completely addicted to it. I would go, I would go every single week. I would black out three or four nights of the week. I would drink enough to black out three or four nights of the week. It wasn't uncommon for me to absolutely lose entire weekends because of my alcoholism. And some, some numbers to make you understand that. If, if you guys, hopefully none of you guys in here have ever blacked out from alcohol. But I'm going to read some numbers off for you so that you can kind of understand how much alcohol it really takes to black out in the first place. The estimated BAC, blood alcohol content, the estimated BAC where a blackout begins, or where you begin to lose a couple hours, a blackout where you lose a couple hours, starts at around 0.25 BAC. 0.30 BAC is the estimate in which blackouts occur and you begin to lose entire nights. 0.30 is where you begin to lose entire nights. Alcohol poisoning begins at 0.25. Alcohol poisoning begins at about the same point in which you begin blacking out a few hours at a time. Like I said, when you begin losing whole nights, it's a .30. So think about that. I was drinking enough to give myself full-blown alcoholic poisoning three or four nights a week, every week, sometimes even more. The estimated BAC where a coma can occur is at .35. I just told you it was common, common for me to have a BAC of over 0.30. That means I would estimate that my, my BAC was over a 0.35, at which the point in which a coma occurs, roughly every other week, at least once a month. I would drink at least that much. And so I wanted to share some of those details with you guys so you can kind of get a clearer picture of how much alcohol I was drinking every single solitary week. 
like I said, three to four times a week, I was drinking enough to give myself alcohol poisoning. So my, my alcohol poisoning really stemmed from something else. As I shared with you guys, my alcohol, my alcohol um, addiction stemmed originally probably from my depression because my depression was running rampant during this time. And the funny thing is, when you try to find a cure for something like that, it really doesn't cure it. And in reality, alcohol made my depression even worse. Eventually, it got to the point where I had to go into the doctor, and I was diagnosed as depressed, bipolar disorder, or manic depressed, bipolar disorder, and they said I had a borderline personality disorder. They took me, or they threw me on a, a heavy, heavy dose of antidepressants and a heavy, heavy dose of antipsychotics. And so I was all hopped, on, hopped up on, on these drugs and getting drunk to the point where I was blacking out three or four times a week. My life became a scenario in which I was a walking zombie. I was living to drink alcohol. That was the only highlight of my entire life at that point, was drinking enough to which I would forget the whole night. Eventually, my alcohol problems landed me in jail about a week before my, or, yeah, a week before my 22nd birthday. How many of you guys have ever been to jail? Awesome. Your, your pastor is the only one in the room that's been to jail. That makes, makes you feel good. Well, and one of your leaders, too. You guys are led by awesome people. I'll tell you what. So on a night that I can't remember, still to this day cannot remember, on a night that I can't remember with a BAC of 0.28 on the breathalyzer, I apparently refused to take a blood test, but typically the ratio of the breathalyzer to your actual BAC is a ratio of 1 to 1.2. And so my BAC estimate... Uh, or they estimated my BAC that night at a 0.38. So with a BAC of an estimated 0.38, which we remember I said coma begins at 0.35, at a BAC of, of estimated at 0.38, I can remember waking up in jail. I don't remember anything else from that night, really. And since I can't remember that night, still to this day, I will share with you the bits and pieces of information in which I've been able to piece together from various stories I've heard and, and uh, various things my lawyer told me because apparently he got, a, he got to view the dash cam that night. So basically what they believe happened was I was driving my Formula Firebird. I don't even remember going to the bars, but apparently I went to the bars and I drank all night. And after the bars got over with, I apparently decided I wanted to go to an after party. I don't know where this after party was or why I was driving where I was. Apparently, that's what I was doing when I left the bar. I also apparently decided that it would be a good idea to drive my Formula Firebird really fast through town and ramp it onto some railroad tracks. I don't know if I thought the road went through there or if I thought that I could just get over the railroad tracks. But apparently I decided to ramp my Formula Firebird over some railroad tracks. My car obviously didn't make it for 
obvious reasons, because a car can't do that. My car was high-centered on the railroad tracks and totaled, and I caused uh, the trains to be delayed by a few hours, causing over $75,000 worth of damage and losses to the railroad. That doesn't include court costs. That doesn't include my car total. Over $75,000 just to the railroad and Alliance. And my dad worked there. That was fun. It scares me looking back, realizing that was not the only time I ever drove drunk. That was one of hundreds of times I drove drunk. It scares me that I drove drunk enough that some people get put in a coma and I was driving behind a formula firebird. There was times in which I would go to a friend's house and begin drinking in Scott's Bluff and wake up in my bed and not have a single clue as to what happened that entire night. That's a lot of miles to do a lot of damage as an alcoholic. So I don't know about you, but for me, I grew up in a Christian home. Waking up in jail wasn't part of the plan, especially not for my parents. Sneaking alcohol, and I wish my parents knew I was drinking at night when they went to bed. Parents aren't stupid. If you think your parents are stupid, just wait 10 more years, you'll realize. My parents knew what was going on. <clears throat> That's rock bottom, right? I don't know a single person in here that that wouldn't be rock bottom. I can tell you that was rock bottom for me. So I decided I'm done drinking. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to I'm going to shape up. I'm going to get my life together. I'm done with drinking. I wish that was true. I couldn't last more than 2 weeks. And boom, I was drinking exactly the same amount as I was before that. The addiction took back over and I couldn't get away from it. So I was like, you know what? I'll compromise. It's okay if I drink. I'm over 21. It's okay if I go and drink, but I'm not going to drink and drive. Cuz that's what got me into the trouble, got me into trouble in the first place. So I'm just not going to drink and drive. Problem is that didn't last very much longer than 2 weeks either. And I was drinking and driving about a month later. Because didn't you know when you drink, your inhibitions go down and your decision-making process goes down, and you begin making stupid decisions. If you're in the habit of making stupid decisions, it's hard to get out of the habit of making stupid decisions, apparently. So rock bottom had no lasting effect on my life. None. Because the difference between before rock bottom and a month after rock bottom, the only difference was I was ashamed of the fact that I was an alcoholic. Rock bottom had no effect on my life. None. So I fast forward a couple of months to the next school year. I had a friend invite me to this thing called Chi Alpha. Text, they sent it to me on Facebook. Her name was Tammy. She, she invited me to Chi Alpha, and she, uh, she told me that there would be cute girls there. I was thinking, you know, Chi Alpha, I went to Colorado State. That sounds Greek, right? So I was like, I'm in. Chi Alpha, cute girls, sold. 
So while I'm walking to the Chi Alpha meeting, I come across some of my drinking buddies. And they're like, hey, what are you up to tonight? Some of us are going to go have a party and we're going to go drinking. I was like, hey, I'm going, to, I'm going to this Chi Alpha thing over there in that room. And he's like, oh, that church thing? <laughs> Good luck. I didn't realize it was a church thing. And so I was like, oh, crap. What did I get myself into? Those church people are weird. Which we are. But I was a man of my word. I had already told them that I would come. They were excited that I was going to come. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go with you guys still. I walk into the room. This guy named Josh Moss walks up to me, gives me this big, huge cub. At the time, Josh Moss, Josh Moss was the youth pastor at C3. Walks up, gives me a big, huge hug, and I realize I'm in the wrong place. He's like, all right, all right, that was a little weird. You guys are a little friendly in here, but we're all right. And then pastor walks up. He gives me a big, huge hug, and I was realizing at that moment in time that I was really out of my comfort zone. I was not comfortable with dudes walking up and hugging me at all. Then during worship service, I'm telling you all the ways in which we are weird, just in case you couldn't tell. So then worship service starts, and people start raising their hands. I turn to my friend Tammy, and I'm like, why are they raising their hands? This is so weird. And she goes, I don't know. I think they think that if they raise their hands, it gets them closer to God. And I was like, okay, these guys are so weird. I was like, this is a cult I got into. I was out of my place. I was out of there. There's no way I'm going to come back to that, right? Wrong. Something hooked me. I didn't know what. Maybe it was the cute girls, which of them, one of which of I actually did marry. That might have been it. The, the worship, which was led by two people, uh, one of them had just learned how to play the guitar and was terrible. The other one uh, was good at singing what, opera or whatever that is. Huh? Vaughn? What does he sing? He's good at singing like opera, but he's, yeah, he shouldn't have been leading at that point in time. Maybe it was the worship that, that got me to come back. Maybe it was the fact that dudes were walking up hugging me and that made me feel uncomfortable. Maybe that's what got me to come back to Chi Alpha. No. What got me to come back to, to Chi Alpha, and I can look back on it now, but it was the Holy Spirit beginning to act in my life and work in my life. Because it would have taken an act of God for me to come back to Chi Alpha. That's how out of place I was. But yet, I came back. Don't get me wrong. I really like the fact there were girls here, but that was not why I came back. I began looking forward to Tuesday nights more than I looked forward to my drinking nights. Got to a point where I, I got excited about Tuesday nights. I looked forward to Tuesday nights the second Tuesday night was over with. One day, C3, the church we go to, Shadow Community Church, if you don't have a home church, you should check it out. It's awesome. C3 hosted an event here in the ballroom, and uh, they brought in the speaker, Eric Tim. If you've never heard of Eric Tim, um, 
basically he does this thing where he preaches a sermon while he's painting a picture. And the whole time he's painting the picture, you have no idea what it is that he's painting. And at the very end, he flips it over, and you're like, oh, that was so cool. This particular sermon was titled Repaint Jesus. His entire sermon was based on the fact that a lot of times we grow up in church and we get this idea of who Jesus is by the representation of what the church told us Jesus was or what the people told us what Jesus was or how people treated us. That's what we attributed to Jesus Christ. And a lot of times we have bad relationships with the church, bad relationships with Christians, um, terrible viewpoints of who Jesus is. And he was basically challenging us that if, if we grew up in church and we really didn't know Jesus, to start from scratch and repaint Jesus according to what Scripture says Jesus is. Not what the church says he is, not what horrible Christians say he is, but what the Bible says he is. I recognize I grew up in church and I was, I, I, the Jesus that I knew growing up in church was not the same Jesus these guys were talking about at Chi Alpha. And it wasn't the same Jesus they were talking about that night. And so I recognized that I might need to repaint Jesus. I might need to see Jesus a little differently than the way Jesus had been represented to me my entire life. And so at the end of it, he gave this opportunity for us, if, if we felt like we needed to repaint Jesus, to stand up and people would pray for you. And so we asked us to stand up, and I admitted that I needed to repaint Jesus, so I stood up. And the second I stood up, some presence over just, just wrecked me, overwhelmed me. I began just weeping, and it was, it was awesome weeping. I was bawling. I didn't know how to explain it. I just felt good. I felt welcomed. I felt, I felt awesome. It was an awesome experience. I immediately left there as soon as the service was over, and I immediately went out into the hallways and began telling people about my experience, about how real Jesus felt in that moment. I wish I could tell you that I gave my life to Christ right then, but I didn't. I wish I could tell you I quit drinking alcohol at that point in time, but I didn't. But it got me started on the right track. I began to realize that Jesus Christ was real, that Jesus Christ could have an impact in my life, and that I was excited to learn who Jesus really was. And so it started me on the right step. Like I said, I hadn't quit drinking. I was still living my life how I wanted to live my life. I was still living my life uh, one alcoholic drink at a time pretty much. But I would go to Tuesday nights, and I began feeling welcome. I began feeling like I belonged. I began feeling like people wanted me there. And so I started getting, like I said, I, I got even more excited about Tuesday nights. And at Chi Alpha, we have this conference in January every year, well, every three out of four years called SALT. Student Activist Leadership Training is what it stands for. Some of you guys have been to SALT. SALT began getting advertised, and they began advertising for SALT at uh, Chi Alpha. And I got excited because I wanted anything that had to do with God, I was seeking after it at this point. I wanted to go. And so I began talking some of the other guys that went to Chi Alpha into going to this conference with me. Yes, the non-Christian was talking the Christians into going to a Christian event. How often does it occur that us Christians, let me, let me word this differently. 
sometimes those of us who are saved forget what it's like to pursue Jesus with all of our lives. The non-Christian pursuing after Jesus with everything he had is the reason that the Christians decided to make a little bit of sacrifice and go to a conference where they might see Jesus. So we go to Salt. I think there were six of us total that ended up going that first year. So there were six of us to go to Salt. We didn't get to attend the first night because we got snowed in Mitchell, South Dakota. But we got to go, or but we did make it there that first night, but it was after the service was over. So the second night was my first night of Salt. So the second night of Salt, the speaker was Sean Smith. He is still probably my favorite uh, prophetic evangelist. He's phenomenal. You should look him up sometime. Look his book up. He's great. The speaker was Sean Smith, and he gave a, a short little altar call. And the message built up to you know, giving your life over to Christ and actually giving your entire life over to Christ. Not just knowing who Jesus was, not just knowing Jesus was a historical figure and, yeah, you believed in him. Yeah, you believed he gave himself on the cross. Yeah, you believed he's your Savior. No, no, no. Giving your life to him. And so they had an altar call on the second night. I stood up, and for the first time in my life, even though I had been to church thousands of times, truly gave my life to Jesus Christ. I gave my life to Christ, and I was filled with so much emotion. I was absolutely overwhelmed, and I couldn't even stand up. I was just, like, wrecked. I don't know how else to explain it. I was wrecked. I was sitting there bawling like a baby. It actually spawned my favorite saying, which some of you guys know what it is. If there's no snot, it wasn't real. It's my favorite saying. Because there was a lot of snot that night. I was bawling, and I'm okay to say it. I'm man enough to admit that I bawled when I was sitting in front of Jesus Christ. But it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. But basically, I had the thought at that point in time, what was going through my brain was, when I was in control of my life, I wrecked it. I ruined it. I couldn't handle being in control of my life. I wasn't strong enough to control my life. I wasn't strong enough to handle it. I made a mess of things. And so I wanted to see what Jesus could do with my life. I figured my life was in better care in his hands than in my own. That was my motivation originally for giving my life to Christ. Now, keep in mind, I grew up in a Lutheran church, dry, doctrinal, not a whole lot of talk about the Holy Spirit in the Lutheran church. Come from a Lutheran church. That doesn't mean that every Lutheran church was dry, but this particular one was that I grew up in. But <clears throat> So I'm sitting there just kind of taking it all in, just listening to the sounds listening to the people worship, getting a sense of the feeling. And I'll never forget the sounds and the feeling of that night, but just kind of just taking it in, just soaking in that presence. This lady walks up and begins praying over me, and uh, it wasn't in English, and the only way I could really explain it was that she was praying over me in African, some African language. And then it began switching over to English, and she, she began speaking to me in English as if it was God talking to me. 
She was saying things about me that there is no way anybody from Chi Alpha could have even known them, let alone some random lady that I had never met before. She began telling me things about my life and about my future and about why certain things in my life happened the way they happened. I was blown away. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew God just talked to me through that lady. I couldn't explain it. I didn't know what was going on. But God talked to me through that lady that night. So fast forward to the second night of salt, or the third night, my second night. Fast forward to the third night of salt. Uh, during the altar, to- altar time, they asked if anybody wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what that is, um, I encourage you, talk to your small group leaders, talk to Courtney or I. Let's, we'll have a deeper conversation about it. But they asked if anybody wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. I had no clue what they were talking about, but I just was wrecked by God the night before, and I knew that if it was God, I wanted it. These guys were telling me it was God, and I trusted God enough to be able to, to decide for me whether he wanted me to have this or not. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to ask for it. And almost instantly, I began speaking in a language that wasn't English. I couldn't explain it. I was fully fluent in some other language. And I was praying easily in this other language. Like I said, I I had no idea what was going on. I had never heard of this. Apparently, I come to find out that that is called tongues. And it is very present in the Bible. But apparently, I was gifted with tongues, and I was baptized by the Holy Spirit. And it is believed to be a sign. Tongues is believed to be a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, if you don't know what that is and that's foreign to you, come and talk to Courtney or I. And we would love to have a deeper conversation about that with you. But for tonight's sake, I can't go too much into it. But from there, I leave Salt completely changed. I came back to Shattern and and Courtney, who had friend-zoned me at the time, which I did beat. You can beat friend-zone. Courtney, who had friend-zoned me at the time, said, I came back a completely different person. She could see it. My life would never be the same, and I knew it. My alcoholism, completely gone in an instant. No cravings whatsoever. My alcoholism, gone. I stopped taking my medicine for my bipolar disorder, my manic depression, my personality disorder. Stopped taking my medicine. Haven't suffered from depression since. Still to this day. And you can ask my wife to verify. Now, there is a difference between depression and just having a bad day. I've had bad days, but I have not been depressed since then. And now at the same time, I'm also going to point out I'm not a doctor. I'm not telling you to stop taking your medicine. Jesus Christ needs to heal you in order for that to take place. Um, But I do believe healing comes from Jesus Christ because I'm proof of that. And there is healing. So I am advising you to seek healing from Jesus. But I am not saying that you need to stop taking your medicine. So don't get my words wrong tonight. I do believe there is a place and time for doctors. But however, for me, Jesus Christ had completely healed my bipolar disorder, my depression, my whatever the long list of things the doctors decide I had it completely healed overnight alcoholism completely gone 
So I'm going to jump backwards a little bit. This story is only good if I, if I jump backwards a little bit. About six months before I went to jail, I had this dream, most vivid dream I've ever had still to the, this day. I couldn't explain it, but it was just crazy vivid. And so in order to, to explain it to you, I'm going to explain it to you the same way I would have explained it to my other friends back then. Keep in mind I wasn't a Christian. So I would go up to him and be like, dude, I had the dumbest dream in the world. It's hilarious. So last night I had this dream that I became some sort of Bible thumper. And then I became some sort of pastor thing. I don't know. It wasn't like a pastor of a church, but it was some kind of pastor thing. And then in the end times, I was a lead general in Jesus' army, and I was riding a horse next to him, and I had a sword, and I was fighting all kinds of these gnarly beasts and all this, this evil junk. I was in this massive war with Jesus. That was the dream I had, absolutely vivid. So back to after salt. I'm sitting around with some Chi Alpha students, and we're talking about stupid dreams that we've had. And I was like, yeah, I had this dumb dream this one time. So I had this dream. I became a, and I began speaking it, and then all of a sudden I realized I became a Bible thumper. At that point in time, I was already pursuing pastoral stuff. I'd already began an internship with Sean and with Chi Alpha and with Pastor Dominic at C3. And I realized I was on track to become a pastor. And I realized this dumb dream I had six months before I even wound up in jail was a vision from God of my future. And not all of it has come to pass, obviously, because I haven't become a lead general taking out gnarly beasts. But I'm looking forward to that. Sometimes God has a hold of us and we don't even realize it. And sometimes God has a hold of us and no matter how stupid or far-fetched the things that God has in store for us, and when we give our lives to him, crazier things have happened. So if you have dreams and visions from God that haven't come to pass, man, be patient and keep seeking after him. And so tonight I'm, I'm sharing a, a point in my history in which, like I said, and I, and I explain with the numbers that I really, truly, honestly stand before you, and I do not believe I would be alive if it wasn't for Jesus Christ taking away my depression and my alcoholism. And there was a lot more he took away that night, but I'm not going to get into all the details. Those are the significant points of, of what I'm trying to share tonight. I go back to that point in time when I'm in a valley, when I'm, I'm feeling like God is distant, or I feel like God isn't doing in my, anything in my life currently, or I feel like I'm just struggling. I can go back to this point in my life and I can definitively say, Jesus is working in my life. He is doing things. And man, he will do whatever it takes to pursue me. And so I need to make sure that I'm turning to him and pursuing him. And so tonight my testimony might not really resonate with you. You might have grown up in church and actually became a Christian early on. You might have not have ever suffered with any kind of addictions. You might have 
had an awesome life, or maybe even on the other end of the spectrum, maybe my testimony looks pretty tame compared to yours. I don't really know what you've gone through in your life, and I don't know what kind of battles you had to fight even to get here tonight. I don't know what it took to get you here, but I do know somebody who knows everything that's going on in your life, and it's the same person who knew everything that was going on in my life, and he wants better for your life. I don't really feel like in the end, me and you are really very different. Because I know Jesus Christ. And trust me, you want to know Jesus Christ if you don't. Because Jesus Christ gave up his life on the cross to ensure that he can get to know you better. To ensure that God can get to know you better. Because ultimately, God wants a relationship with us. And the crap in our life prevents us from having a relationship with him. And Jesus Christ came down and said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm doing away with all of that. Give your lives to me, and you can stand in front of God. And so what saves us then? What saved me? It comes down to grace. That's as simple as I can honestly explain it. It all comes down to grace. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings, free and unmerited. I want to stress that last part, free and unmerited. There is absolutely not a single solitary thing that you can rationally do on this earth to deserve God's grace. Nothing. You do not deserve God's grace. And I don't say that because I'm trying to, to, to beat you down. We don't deserve God's grace. But all it takes is you accepting it because even though we don't deserve it, God still gives it to us freely. Grace is free and unmerited. All we can do is receive that grace that he has given us freely. Because for us, grace is received but not deserved because we are all sinners and the punishment of sin is ultimately death. And so I'm going to wrap up my sermon with this and give you a little bit of scripture tonight. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. What's that saying to us? That is saying that through God's mercy and grace in Jesus Christ, we are redeemed as though we are made a brand new creation before God. We are made as if we were Adam before he even first sinned. I'm going to read that again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in, if anyone is in Christ, sorry. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone. Could you imagine that, though? 
Close your eyes for a second. Just think about that. Man, when you give your life to Christ, that moment you sacrifice your life to God, that moment you give your life over to Jesus and say, man, <laughs> I, am, I am not capable of handling my own life. Jesus, take it. My life is yours. I give my life to you. In that moment, this miraculous thing happens, and you are standing in front of God, a brand new creation. Picture it this way while you still have your eyes closed. Reuben, would you come up, please? While you still have your eyes closed, imagine that you're wearing this shirt. It's a perfectly white shirt. For every dumb thing you've done in your life, there's a blemish on this shirt. There's blood, dirt, whatever dumb things you've done in your life, whatever screw-ups you've ever had, those things are on this white shirt, and this white shirt is no longer white anymore. It's stained with our sins and with our bad decisions. Now imagine this. When you say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you, it's not as if God takes that shirt, throws some bleach on it, and comes out kind of off-white. No. That's not what this scripture is saying. In that moment, God takes that dirty, disgusting, nasty shirt, he tosses it away, and he hands you a brand new shirt to put on. And it is beautifully brilliant white. That is what happens when we give our life to Christ. It's not that we are still this this forsaken object that's still full of crap and garbage. No, when you give your life to Christ, you are standing before God, a brand new creation. It is such a beautiful thing. And sometimes, it's not about whether or not we've been made new. Sometimes we just need to recognize that we've been made new, and we need to walk in it. So tonight, with your eyes still closed, I want you to think of something for me. This might be, might be hard for some of us to do. I just got done sharing with you one of my, my weakest moments in my life. Think of the worst thing you have ever done in your entire life. And for some of you guys, it's easy. You know that worst thing. You can think of it right off the top of your head. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you guys have to dig a little bit. Oh, maybe it was this time I stole something. Maybe it was this time I lied about this. That's fine. Take your time. Think of the worst thing you've ever done in your entire life. You got that thing on your mind? Not even that thing can separate you from redemption in Jesus Christ. Not even the worst thing you could even think of that you've ever done could separate you. Man, not even murder could separate you from redemption in Jesus Christ. Scripture is full of people who have done way worse than we have. And Jesus Christ still gave them redemption. And even with that worst thing you can think of, Jesus Christ still redeems you and you're still standing before God made brand new when you accept Jesus Christ. So tonight with everybody's eyes closed still, If tonight 
you have been in control of your own life. And tonight you're saying, Jesus, I want to give you control. When I was in control, man, I wrecked it. I can't handle it. I'm tired of being depressed. I'm tired of this addiction. I'm tired of struggling through life with just no end in sight, and I don't know the direction my life is going. If that's you tonight, and you're saying, Jesus, I want to give you control. I want to see what you can do with my life. And I've seen what I can do with my life. I want to see what God can do with my life. If you're sitting here tonight and you're just tired of getting by, you're just sick and tired. You don't even know how to explain it. You're just tired of being tired. If that's you, you know I'm talking to you. If that's you and you want to give your life over to Jesus Christ tonight, I want you to just do something for me. All the eyes are closed across this place. This is between you and God. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand up. I see your hands. You can put them down. Let me give one more opportunity for this. Tonight's the night, man. you're sick of struggling, you're sick of your life being a mess, or if, man, you're here tonight and you just, you can just feel God's presence. Maybe your life really hasn't been that bad, but you can just feel God's presence tonight. And tonight you're saying, yeah, I want more of that. That God you're talking about up there, that's not the God that I know of. I want more of that God, if that's you tonight. I want you to raise your hand also. I see your hand. You can put them back down. Tonight, if you've already given your life over to Christ, but you're saying, hey, it's been a while. It's been a long time. I've walked away. I haven't been living my life right. I've fallen away from you lately. I want to get back to that place. I want to get back to that place where you're in control, and I need your help, Jesus. Help me to run after you with everything again. If that's you and you want to rededicate your life to Christ tonight, go ahead and raise your hand. I see your hand. So with eyes closed tonight, remember this is between you and God. It's nobody else's business around you. This is between you and God. With eyes closed tonight, I want everybody in this room to repeat this prayer after me. I want to make sure we don't leave anybody out. And, man, if tonight you didn't raise your hand, felt like maybe you should, but you just didn't want to raise your hand, man, it doesn't change anything. You can still pray this prayer, and it still counts. So everybody repeat after me. Jesus. Louder, Jesus, I need you. I need you to be in control of my life. I want to give my life to you. You are my Lord and Savior. Jesus, have your way in my life. I recognize it's no longer about me. It's all about you. Remember tonight, you can open your eyes. 
tonight, man, if you're struggling and maybe you've been walking with God and you've been close to him lately and just the last couple weeks have been rough, maybe it was rough going back home for a week. If that's you, man, still tonight, Jesus Christ has made you new and we need to rejoice in that. Nothing else matters. No other crap, your, your school homework, your job, your car breaking down. Man, we watched that video at the beginning of Todd White getting in a wreck. Man, nothing is more important than Jesus Christ in our lives. Nothing. And so if we recognize that, we remember that, and we remember that it doesn't matter how big a struggles you're going through. Man, those struggles are put on your shoulder by the world, not by Jesus Christ. When we're stressed out about money, when we're stressed out about losing our job, when we're stressed about how we don't know how to pay for college, we're stressed out because maybe your grades aren't as good as they could be. Maybe you're stressed out because, man, just life has sucked lately. Man, I can speak to you. I know what it feels like. This last year has been practically hell for my wife and I. You guys know the struggles we've been going through. It sucked. And I can still stand in front of you and say, it is still all about Jesus Christ. And I am excited to tell you about it. And it doesn't matter. We lost our mom. We lost our grandma. We wrecked our car twice. We, Courtney was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. We had, I don't know, $10,000, $15,000 worth of debt pile up this year because of that. I don't even care. God's got it under control, and I know that, and it doesn't matter. It's not my burden to bear anymore. It's his. And so if that's you tonight, man, walk out of this room rejoicing and knowing that none of that garbage deserves a place in your life. It doesn't deserve to stress you out. It doesn't deserve to weigh you down. Man, give it over to God. And at the same time, I want you guys to remember tonight that saying a prayer and raising your hand isn't some sort of ritualistic thing where all of a sudden every, all your answers are, are given to you, everything in your life is perfect, and you're going to live a life that's happy and hunky and dory. No. In Christianity, Jesus tells us that when we give our lives to him, hardships are going to come. That's the, that's the one thing he promises us. Hardships are going to come. Hardships are still going to come. But the cool thing about Jesus Christ is when we give him our burdens, man, those hardships sting a lot less. And we can look at the bigger picture. And so if you said the prayer tonight and you meant it, and you meant it with your heart, whether you raised your hand or not, this is the first step in your walk towards getting to know Jesus Christ. And every single one of you guys, that you're one step closer every time you make a commitment to Jesus of, of getting to know him. It's one more step closer to him. Tonight, if you raise your hand, and I have it in my notes to remind you, if you raise your hand tonight or you said that prayer and you meant it, I don't know, it doesn't even matter if you meant it or not. If you, if you are in this room and you're not involved in a small group, small group leaders, can I have you guys stand up? And Reuben is a small group leader, but he's not standing up. If you're not involved in a small group, get in touch with one of these people and go to their small group. You will be happy that you did. You need to. You guys can sit down.
Find one of these small group leaders. Talk to them. Ask them when their small group is. Do the work for them because they're supposed to be going to you anyway. Do the work for them. Go to them. Ask them when their small group is and go to it. It will help. Something awesome about meeting with a bunch of people every single week and just talking. Talking about your problems. Talking about Jesus. Talking about things going on in your life. It's just, it's just awesome. I just want to stress tonight, I feel like the Holy Spirit's kind of pressing me to stress that we seek after miracles and we, we seek after these things that, that God promises us in our lives. And uh, we seek after the things that are promised within Scripture. I think it's important to stress tonight that our response needs to be clear. Jesus Christ doesn't ask for half of our lives. He doesn't ask for just your free time. You can have your job. You can have your school, but I want an hour in the evening. That's not what he's asking for. Jesus Christ needs to be a part of every aspect of your life. Not just when you're at home. Not just in your free time. Not just on Sunday morning. Not just on Tuesday nights. Jesus Christ is asking for every aspect of your life. And when you do that, you commit your entire life to him, as I did. Commit my entire life to him. The things I have seen since then, I couldn't even fathom those things happening in my life prior to that. I just want to encourage you guys tonight. Give your all to Jesus. Don't just give him half. Because then half of your life will be filled with Jesus, and the other half of your life will still suck. close our eyes and pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity tonight to get to know you a little bit better. To recognize that sometimes churches are screwed up. Sometimes Christians are screwed up. Sometimes sometimes we'll learn things that we attribute to you that aren't necessarily you. And so, Lord, I thank you tonight for clearing those things up. Giving us the opportunity for our relationship with you to be fresh and new. That our parents' burdens are not our burdens. That our church's burdens are not our burdens. But Lord, that those who have given their lives to you are a community together. And we can depend on that community to help us through those hard times as well as you. Lord, I want to thank you for sacrifice on the cross that you gave your life for us so that even when life sucks, even when hardship comes, we're not alone. You've got our backs. That you've got it under control. Lord, I thank you for the students tonight that uh, people here that have, have given their lives to you, that raised their hands Lord, I pray protection over them. I pray that the enemy wouldn't be able to come and steal that away from them. That, Lord, you would begin to put a fire into them to seek after you head first, diving in 100%.
I pray you would put people around them to surround them with people who encourage them. People who will talk about you with them. People who will help them grow closer to you in this early stages of their walk and, and in their renewed walk with you. Lord, I pray for these students here as they leave here. That, Lord, you would give them opportunities to share about the gospel with the other students here at Shadowset College or the other people at their workplace. Lord, that you would give them opportunities. Lord, we thank you. It is in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen.